This week's G1 final edition of Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast, is brought to you by Atmark Media online, atmarkmedia.com. Also brought to you by our friends over at the Hameen Media Group at channelattitude.com, as well as the PW Hustle. Syndicated by our friends over at ndpw.com and now over at the Pro Wrestling Coalition Network. You can find Destino wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, be it Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, Google, or iHeartRadio. Also available now in video form on YouTube and Facebook. Just search Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast, or visit DestinoPod.com. On today's episode, I'm joined by the vet from over at the Hameen Media Group to talk about the G1 Climax 31 final and a whole bunch of other topics. No stardom report this week as we go about an hour and a half. Of course, we were covering 17 days worth of wrestling. I will try to include some stardom talk on the Power Struggle Review. So much to talk about on this episode. But first, my friends from Down Under. This is Nightfall. You blocked me on Facebook and now you're going to die. So back from the break, we're trying something new with Destino. That's right, Vet. You're the first one. We're going to try to actually record video today and see if we can get Destino up on YouTube, see if uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling will shut us down like they do everybody else. I'm sitting here with the Vet. Vet, finally, we get to talk some G1 Climax. Uh, I had planned on doing a whole bunch of stuff during this year's G1, and then I got a puppy. And that took up a whole ton of time. And then, you know, work went absolutely insane. So I didn't get to cover the individual shows the way I necessarily had planned. And in a weird way, that kind of works out. Because this is the coldest G1. This is the least interest I have seen in the G1 since I started watching New Japan Pro Wrestling like full time back around Wrestle Kingdom 9. And how are you taking the temperature on this G1? Are you just listening to the fans on social media or your own personal uh, interest in it? Or what would you say is your thermometer for this? Well, the thing is, I thought it was a good tournament. I enjoyed the tournament. Of course, I actually tuned in and watched the shows. Sure. I guess I'm, I'm taking the temperature of the fans in the respect that I didn't see anybody talking about the G1 climax this year. And I, I tend to run in some pretty heavy, you know, new Japan circles. It just seemed like the interest for the tournament wasn't there once they announced the blocks and we were like, wait, no Suzuki, wait, no Jay white. And it in the list just kept on going. And then, then wait, we have Yujiro, we have Yano, we have GOD is in the tournament. Like we're, we're putting tag teams in the G1 again. It just didn't seem like the interest was there this year, and I'm not exactly sure why. Oh, well, I think you nailed it. I mean, that was kind of the thing. You look at it, it, it was a somewhat of a disappointing block, but like we talked about on the last episode, um, 
we know only one guy's winning this in the end, so everybody is essentially fodder for the eventual winners anyway. However, what made this one interesting and why people should have tuned in is we have no idea, based on the way this played out, how the original plans were supposed to be. For all we know, it could have been Naito was supposed to win. Um, and There's a he, lot of people that think that, actually. Yeah, and it, it would make sense. There's There's some reasons why people might think that. So that right there could have thrown a whole uh, a monkey wrench into the plans. And, you know, that could explain the whole the, the, the idea that's like, well, when in doubt, go with the Rainmaker because, you know, he is the best. Right. So so and, and maybe that is a smart business decision to while we're all still like living in this uh, in these in these uh, trying times, Jargo. Uh, yes. Uh, these, these uncertains and trying times. Yes, it's nice to have a, a rock that we can count on. So, you know, they've been doing a lot of experimental stuff lately. I don't know if the experiments have proved fruitful, um, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what they end up doing. But yeah, I think it ended up being interesting. I, I, I liked the booking of it. It was always is, is always like a highlight um, because you really never know. This is the time. You never know who's going to win any individual match. There could be an upset, and there was. Um, for example, you drew. <laughs> right? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, you bring up the booking. How good do you think this tournament was, knowing that with Tetsuya Naito out? Because I think a lot of people, even if Naito wasn't winning the tournament, a lot of people thought that Naito would be a finalist. How do you feel Gato did with adjusting his booking on the fly throughout this tournament? Um, I Well, I think he should be commended. I mean, any and every year that you put together this logistical nightmare and it comes out being as entertaining as it always does. Right. Uh, even this year, um, I, I have to give him an A plus. I can't ever give him less than an A plus. I might have to give him the grade of S, you know? Right. Uh, so um, I, I, I got to give it up to the man. I mean, I would never want to have that on my plate ever in the best of conditions. And especially the way the tournament started as well as the way the tournament ended. I think an S grade might be appropriate. And the S stands for shit. <laughs> True. I, you know, like, Really? Really, we're going to lose two of our biggest stars in the same tournament. Let's talk about the first one. He goes out on night one of the G1 Climax. Tetsuya Naito finishes the tournament with zero points because after Zack Sabre Jr. twisted him into a pretzel, Tetsuya Naito ends up on the shelf. It's unfortunate because I thought this match was really, really good. And I was like, wow, Naito's just selling his ass off in this oh 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 naito's really hurt um it, it's a terrible situation but the thing that's interesting i have an update on kota ibushi for a little bit later on in the show have you heard anything about naito at this point no um it, the culture of japan is not very forthcoming with people's personal information uh, for the most part so you know, depending on the level of privacy that the individual would like, uh, they generally don't give out those kind of uh, that, that kind of information. We didn't hear anything about Hiromu Takahashi for how long? You know, like a I'm just talking about the neck injury, or you know, originally yeah. the the San Francisco um, injury suffered at Dragon Lee. Yes. Um, so so do we know? Like, at what point in the match did he injure himself? D did you happen to catch it? I I did not. 
Yeah, I didn't either. And the thing is with Naito, his knees are shot to begin with. It seems like Naito is always hurt. And mm-hmm. my understanding was it was a knee injury. So mm-hmm. it, it's so hard to tell when Naito is actually in pain and when he's selling when it comes to his knees. Because let's face it, every match that we see, that tape gets a little bit heavier. Yeah. And the thing about Zack Sabre is you shouldn't be getting injured in a match with him because you don't ever have to take any bumps if you don't want to. That's just not his type of match. So we can't blame him for anything um, other than we can blame him for doing his part to try to carry his side of the tournament, which I thought was he, he did a fantastic job of. Um, but yeah, so short of going back and watching the match itself, I'm not sure exactly at what point the... Uh, the knee injury occurred and how long he had to work on it to finish the match. But um, yeah, just, it's just unfortunate. He's a huge fan favorite, if not the fan favorite. I mean, right. is anybody more over than him in terms of merch and, and, and everything? Certainly not in terms of merch. Um, I mean, I, like, I feel like Tanahashi is right up there. Um, but, sure. but you know, I mean, he's Tanahashi at this point and I feel like Okada is up there. But I have complained about this for literally years at this point. Okada's merch sucks. Like, yeah. Chaos needs a new merch guy. Like, get I've the always... LIJ merch guy, because the Chaos merch guy sucks. I I always look at the the shop and see when stuff gets added, and I'm like, man, I don't want that. You know? Like, right? when I look at his stuff, I haven't seen one thing I wanted. But, um, yeah, it, it you know, there is that. Uh and I also think that Tanahashi and Okada suffer from the, you know, the, the fatigue of being the top guys for so long. And I think that's part of what makes Naito appealing for fans that want to, you know, feel like they, they're making a rebellious choice. Like I'm going to go with this guy, which of course you pick the rebellious faction, right? So, so that, that all makes sense. Um, but well, I just hope he can come back soon, but he, Naito is, somewhat sloppy and reckless in the ring and like i i would i would almost hesitate i hesitate to use the word unskilled but like there's something about the guys that come from the the hamaguchi dojo that right. not quite as good as the new japan dojo just a little bit sloppier and a little bit you know their technique is just a little bit off so um, I don't I, I don't know how much that's gotten him into trouble over the years, but um, it, it, it's catching up with him now. He's not a young man. Nope. Um, he's he's younger than us, I think, but he's he's not he's he's not young in in uh, in terms of being like a spring chicken or anything. So th- these kind of things are only going to pile up if he doesn't you know learn to work a little bit. Let's talk about the other guy who's reckless and got injured in this tournament, Kota Ibushi. Um, we, we go from the opening night of the G1 to the final night as Kota Ibushi separates his shoulder. It sounds like there, there is a tear in there as well. He's going to be out for at least two months. Vet, as I look at things, two months from now is Christmas. That means Wrestle Kingdom is like a week after. Um, what is What do you make of Kota Ibushi at this point? Because it seems like Ibushi, ever since they gave him the title... All he does is go out and get himself injured. Or get pneumonia or some crazy thing. Right. right? Um, what do I make of him? I mean, I've never been a like what I would call a fan of his. Um, I, I like I think he can definitely play a role in the company and he seems to have enough fans that uh he deserves to be at or around that top spot there. 
but he's basically, like I've said in the past, like a backyard wrestler that took it way too far, you know? And there are, you know, a lot of the stuff that he does is very awkward looking and uncoordinated and he flails around a lot. But this, I mean, I don't know if you, I don't know this, this specific injury. I don't know what went through your mind. Uh, did you know, um, when it happened or did you just like, or did you wait to see how it played out and then go, okay. I kind of knew shortly thereafter, you know, like as I was watching it live, I was like, Ooh, that was a nasty landing. And then it, it didn't take too long after that, that I went, Oh, that was a much worse landing than what we even kind of thought. It had to be the Phoenix splash. Didn't it? Oh yeah. yeah. Yes, it did. No. Under, uh, yeah. And, and, move that you know that you're missing you have to come down with that kind of velocity on that that's where that's where you just like the judgment i have to question the judgment on the guy um so full disclosure i didn't get a chance to watch this match right away so by the time i had seen it i already knew that okada had won and i was like shit why did i go on social media then i found out that ibushi got injured and that the mat, so I would, you know, so now I'm like, oh, why'd I go on social media? So <laughs> I'm watching the match. And as I'm watching the match, I'm knowing that he's going to be injured and the mat, uh, the match is going to get cut short. I have no idea what the timetable is. It could be the first move right. of the match. It could be the end of the match, as far as I know. And I'm watching it. And so I'm watching this match with the idea that he's going to get hurt. And I don't know if you've ever watched a Kota Ibushi match with that in mind, but. There's any oh, was number was that it? Was yeah, that it? <laughs> any number of a dozen things that look like they could have ended a man's career. That's just how he sells, you know. Like taking the DDT on the outside, and he like folds his neck over, and you're like, "Oh, was that it?" You know, like there was no way to know. But every time I saw him sell, and and thinking like, "Oh, was that it?" Um, but when the Phoenix Splash happened, I was like, "Oh, that's it, hundred percent." That's it. That's because it. yes, yes, as as a. Uh, I, with a trained eye, I could see that he either broke his wrist, uh, both bones, or like you said, he separated his shoulder. I figured that it was a separated shoulder because I cracked my wrist in half in the ring and I went home and tried to sleep it off. So I know it doesn't hurt that much as, as much pain as he was in. So I figured he probably like separated his shoulder or, you know, maybe he even actually, uh, broke the um you know what do you call that uh that bone in your upper arm uh i forget um i'm not jim ross i don't know the entire anatomy but uh that might be the funniest thing anybody's gonna hear on this show today oh don't don't sell us short jargo we we got plenty of show left um yeah so so like to to be in that much pain as he looked like he was in um i figured it had to be more severe than just the wrist but you could easily see when he comes down how hard it is, you know, like, and, you know, hitting knees first too. And like using that as a, you know, as, as my brother had pointed out, that looks like a, like a fulcrum action to slam you down even harder. Um, so, and even if you did something like missing a moonsault or whatever, like floating and being able to control your trajectory somewhat like he can, but you know, you do that night after night, whether you hit it or miss it, your knees, your 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 uh your ankles, uh your wrists, everything that you land on is is in jeopardy. So could have been a case of the straw breaking like the final straw. 
Um, or, True. but, but he could have been perfectly healthy and that, that Phoenix splash had enough snap on it that it could have ruined the whole thing right there. So unfortunate. Um, I don't want to kick the guy when he's down. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just uh, at least we got most of the match out of it. And it appears that the plan was Okada all along right. based on the way they handled it post-match and, you know, with Tama Tonga coming in and all this other stuff. So, um, so we so we weren't robbed of anything else, but maybe you know it was going to be Naito in that in that A block spot. We'll, we'll never know now, and they're not they'll never tell us. We'll we'll talk a bit more Kota Ibushi and Kazuchika Okada here in a little bit. Vet kind of want to run through everybody that was in the tournament, what their point totals were, and who they beat. If there's anything that really stands out to you, like you know, we're going to start with Yujiro Takahashi. Yujiro finishes with five points, not necessarily a big deal. But, you know, his wins are against, you know, the Tetsuya Naito, two points. Oh, yeah, and he beat Kota Ibushi on the first night and cost Shingo the G1. So even Yujiro with five points, an absolute vital part of this tournament. Big, it's a thumbs up, thumbs down. Would you have Yujiro Takahashi in next year's G1 Climax? Yes, but for one specific reason that has nothing to do with... Yes. (laughs) Yes, the 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 superstars in this tournament, uh, besides the obvious choices, are always going to be Peter and uh, Miho. Miho. They are they for the first time they were there to accompany their their respective uh, charges on every single match of the tournament, which was great, and they all were very uh, instrumental in the presentation. Like if you watch Miho during the matches, we've already talked about her. She's an MVP. She's she's really selling the entire match and the character of Tai Chi and everything like that. And then Peter even gets involved in some of the backstage interviews and stuff, some comedic exchanges between Takahashi and her. Um, but <clears throat> this is why Gato's booking would get an S grade because you take a guy that's a bum, but the bum is only there to spoil the two, you know, t- two very important um, members of the tournament participants. So. So, like, that's good use of a guy like Takahashi. He's there to give everybody else wins, but damn it if he doesn't just, you know, ruin everything else. So I cannot wait until the next time Shingo Takagi and Yujiro Takahashi are in the same place at the same time because Shingo's going to kill this dude. Mm-hmm. Like, you grabbed a hold of my boot to make sure that I couldn't get back into the ring, which caused a draw between the two of us and left me on the outside the final night of the G1 climax. Like, I can't wait. Like, it's the little seeds like that that Gato kind of plants, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I can't wait to see Shingo whip that ass. Like, it's right. going to happen. Yep. And Yujiro, whether it's metaphorically or literally, he drags everybody down that he's in the <laughs> ring with. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Let's talk about Tangaloa. Tangaloa, one half a G-O-D of course, they're getting ready for World Tag League. His wins in this tournament, Tetsuya Naito, Yujiro Takahashi, and Zack Sabre Jr. Who the hell saw that one coming, right? Yeah. Um, so this was his first G1 appearance, correct? And we've yeah, seen Tama Tonga in a couple G1s, but... Uh... Tangaloa had more singles matches throughout this tournament than he has had his entire career in New Japan Pro Wrestling. 
Right. So it's very exciting for him, and he's a capable performer. So that's where filling out this uh, block, you know, even though that's not a name that people would necessarily get excited about, it's still a great choice. Um, and this is my question, though. This uh, I'll, I'll ask you. So what was up with the, like, talk about the good bad guy, Tama Tonga, but the good bad guy really in this one was Tonga Loa because all of his promos and stuff were talking about being very thankful and, and, and just being appreciative. Like he was super, he was the biggest baby face of this entire tournament. Now, why do you think that was? What is the purpose of that? I, I don't know. Um, but I do feel like they are planting some seeds. I had kind of thought that what they were going to do with the OG Bullet Club, the New Japan version of Bullet Club, was they were trying to do the the Bret Hart thing, right? Where they're, they're baby faces here in the States, they're heels in Japan. Because when we saw them at New Japan's resurgence, they're coming out, they're too sweet in the fans, they're yucking everything up, and they're facing off with the Good Brothers. And it seems like, oh, wow, like this is the most baby face I've ever seen, G.O.D. And now it seems like they're trying to continue that over in Japan and of course, this is all kind of going on at the same time as this whole house of torture thing, which clearly if you're going to do a bullet club split and you're going to have bullet club and the house of torture, they want bullet club favored in those matchups. That's the only thing I can come up with. Hmm. Well, even so they don't normally require somebody to go out of their way with characterization. Like right. they would normally just let the fans decide who they want to cheer for. So, I don't know. It was, uh, I, I, I don't want to say refreshing, but I, I like that it, it was a little bit different because it made me think the whole time, what is he up to? Uh, and so it added a layer of intrigue to what I assumed to be a disingenuous presentation by him. He, so. he was a very pleasant surprise throughout this tournament because when I had first saw the block announcements and I'm seeing, you know, you've got Yujiro, you've got Tangaloa, you've got kenta you've got evil and it's just like okay how many bullet club shenanigans are we going to get throughout this tournament like i can i can only tolerate it for so long and then it just becomes like when we had both tamatonga and bad luck fale trying to see who could get dq'd more than the other guy a couple of years ago and it was like yes it, it, it's fun for about half the tournament and then it just becomes eye rolling because you know there's only so many things that they can do I really expected that with Tangaloa and instead we got a much more serious presentation like, Hey, I'm getting this opportunity and I'm going to take my freaking shot. I really enjoyed Tangaloa as a singles performer. And I love Tama Tonga throughout this tournament. Yeah. And I want to add one more thing about it too: his performance in the sense of now this is pretty detailed and granular here, but I think you'll appreciate this. So now, you know that having watched G.O.D. for the number of years that you watch them, you've seen how, like, especially uh, Tangaloa, he, in his matches, he basically plays the part of, like, almost like um, he, he likes to no-sell a lot. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, and, and make it seem as though... Uh, these guys aren't on his level, like in terms of strength and, and endurance and stuff like that. So he, he, it, it kind of doesn't work to his advantage being like the no selling tough guy because he ends up losing a, a great majority of the time. So it just, it just makes it not believable. And there's a disconnect with that, I think subconscious at least, 
But for me, I'm looking at it like if you're going to lose, you shouldn't be acting. You shouldn't be the ultimate warrior. You know what I mean? So in this tournament, he really didn't do any of that. He definitely adjusted to work his work to be more like, um, you know, what his character would be, you know, in terms of the role that he plays in the matches. Like he's there to basically, again, pad out other people's win records um, so he's not over there doing a whole lot of the whole, you know, hit me, no sell, hit me, no sell thing. Like he usually does and yelling at them and berating them verbally in the ring, uh, only to just get rolled up or something. You know what I mean? So, so he, he actually changed up, you know, his attitude in the matches. And I think that helped a lot. I also felt like for the first time in a very long time, oh yeah, that's what NXT saw in him. You know, right. like, oh, oh, yeah, he was over there. Like, he, he was being presented as a single star, and it just went over like a fart in church. But I kind of see it now. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, absolutely. Well, what, what do you expect of a company that you take a, a, a Tongan guy and say, well, you're a Mexican now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's WWE for you, right? Let's talk yeah. about uh, Oka. The great Okan finishes the tournament with eight points, wins against Angeloa, Tetsuya Naito's two points, Yujiro, and Koryano. Uh Didn't win a whole lot, but this was his first G1, and I thought this was the best great Okan that I have seen. I, I even kind of had him in the MVP running for the this block because he seemed like he was going out there and just having fantastic matches every night. Like, maybe something has finally clicked with Oka. Uh, well, he certainly had the most main events. Jesus, is this a yeah, new record right? for main events in, oh, in the correct. G1 that, that a guy has had? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, he's getting there. He's he's not quite there. I really did not like the gimmick uh, when I first saw it. I saw him doing it in Rev Pro, and I was like, "What the fuck?" And right. then when he and I was like. Surely when he comes to New Japan, he won't be doing that gimmick. And then I saw him and I was like, what the fuck? So, <laughs> so even though like it, it's, it's like, I've, I've warmed up to it somewhat. Um, he's still like, uh, he, he's still got a ways to go in terms of like, you know, his, his matches and stuff like that. But he, he's, he's, he is improving and you got to remember that this guy did not grow up a fan of pro wrestling. So right. he's doing very well considering that we see lots of guys that just get, just do this because they think it's a way to make some money and it doesn't turn out so hot. Um, but I, I, I like his approach to it. So, uh, I'll give, I'll give him a thumbs up on this, on this G one. He gets eight points in his first G one. That's a good sign for him because uh, let's talk about Tommy, Tom, 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 Tomohiro Ishii, of course, who has been my MVP of the G1 Climax since I started watching the G1 Climax. Ishii goes out and just, he, he's the best in every tournament. This year, he get, finally gets to 10 points. By the time Ishii is like 812, he might actually win the G1 Climax. But this year, it was a little odd, and it was kind of slim picking. He gets his wins over Great Okan, Tangaloa, the two points from Naito, two points from Yujiro and then the Zack Sabre Jr. match, which was, to me was Ishii's best matchup of the tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, Ishii, not my MVP this year, though. I, I thought there was somebody in this block that was a little bit better than Tomohiro Ishii. And now we he felt like a kind of a, a second tier presentation throughout this tournament. And I'm like, 
what the hell are they going to do with Ishii? Well, now we know he's he's heading to the United States. He's going to be taking on Switchblade Jay White for the Never Openweight Championship at their their spring show or fall show, whatever the hell it's called, fall stampede, whatever showdown in the valley. There you go, something show, like that. Showdown in the valley. The best thing about this program was that promo. Jay White with his Tommy Tom Tom, I just thought was freaking hilarious. But at least we know what Ishii's going to be doing on the road to Wrestle Kingdom. It's getting ready for Switchblade Jay White, and I kind of expect him to win this championship from him. Yeah, somebody's got to get that belt off Jay White so he can get back to doing more important things, right? Right. Uh, I'm surprised they ever put it on him, but it was. Um... You know, he, he, he can, he can do any, he can make lemonade and chicken salad out of anything they hand him. They don't hand him a lot of chicken shit and lemons though. They usually just give him the pre-made food. Uh, so he doesn't have to work too, too hard, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. It should be, it's going to be a marquee match there. It's like one of the only announced matches. Mm -hmm. So even though, you know, Okada's coming down, that's only two hours away from me. And I went to the one that they had, I want to say a couple of years ago where, no, it was no, it was at the same. I think it was at the same place. It's like San Jose Civic Center or someplace. It's like a small ballroom type place, um, but it was it was a really cool atmosphere. And that was the one that had a uh, um, the best match I've I think I've ever seen live. Actually, was there, uh, and that was a uh, show versus Phantasmo for the uh, was it the Junior Heavyweight Championship or whatever it was, yeah. right? So that was an awesome match. And, you know, so I, if you go back on New Japan World and watch that show, you'll see me sitting in the front row by Kevin Kelly somewhat. Um, but, yeah, so Ishii normally plays the role of spoiler in these tournaments, like the, the babyface spoiler. He's going to lose the matches that you wish he would win, and then if somebody runs their mouth a little too much, he ends up shutting them up. You know what I mean? That's, that's basically what he does. He kind of did it again here. Uh, and that's as much as you're ever going to expect from him. He's never going to win one. He'll never be the champion. He'll never be at any higher of a level than he's already at. But he is at the point where when New Japan needs somebody beat for some reason in an upset, they'll send the pit bull after him, um, and it'll be cool. It'll be a cool moment. They've established that he could beat anybody at any given time, um, which how much can you say that about any American pro wrestling whatsoever? I feel like it, Ishii is this weird talent that is more over in the United States than he is in Japan. Like, I feel like the, the Western fan base really has embraced Tomohiro Ishii. And then when he goes back over to Japan, it's just like, oh, yeah, he's that mid-card guy. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Maybe they take him for granted a little bit, but maybe they also know because they see him day in, day out, and he's not a special occasion for them. They already know that the company has no better plans for him. And I don't blame them because, like, just looking at it objectively as, like, a you know, putting on a promoter hat or something, it's like, look at him. Like, what can right. you really, ex what can you do with him? But he's great at what he does in his role. But you're not gonna you're not gonna be sending that guy to talk shows and and right. you know fundraisers <laughs> and all the other you know all the other promotional things. I guess you could, but it'd be entertaining. Yes, it, it'd be entertaining. Just have him sit there not talking, right? But uh, but no, even he had some promos this year that were pretty good, and he's he's pretty good when he decides to talk too. So especially um, so, when he gets fired up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just Love it. sitting there take taking off that unnecessarily tight elbow wrap, and talking shit. Yeah. You gotta love the Stone Pitbull. 
Let's talk about a guy I don't love, Toru Yano. Yeah. Yeah, freaking Yano. He has his wins against Ishii, Kenta, Tangaloa, Yujiro, and the two points from Naito. Vet, this was the best of times. It was the worst of times for Toru Yano. Some of this stuff was really, really good. Some of this stuff was really, really bad. But that's Yano when it comes to the G1. But I will say this. When it comes to Yano in the G1, the one thing that I do enjoy is you know Yano can roll a motherfucker up. Like, Yano can win any match that he is in. They can put Yano over, and everybody's like, yeah, I knew he was going to get a couple, you know? Like, it's just like, ugh, fucking Yano, you know? What else do you say? Well, I've, I've said this to you in private, but I'll say it in public now. Why does the dude only have one move that he can do, and that's a roll-up, and he does it worse than when Steve Austin broke his neck in 1997? Like that's your only move. You can't you can't do any better than that. I mean, was he always this bad? Is he doing this on purpose? I, I yes. You know more of his like so so like not cinching up a roll up is part of his comedy act. Oh, and well, making the, everybody look bad, sitting I, there I, flailing around like a like a beetle that fell on its back or something, like pretending they can't lift their shoulder up easily. Yeah, I I, I guess I should have clarified. Yes, he's doing this on purpose. No, I don't think his roll-up is supposed to look that bad. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if that was part of the the act. (laughs) It's like every roll-up that he does looks so sloppy that you think that both his hands and his feet are handcuffed together. It's it's terrible. If you you were sleeping in your bed and he came and rolled you up in your sleep and you just turned over, you could kick out of his roll-up. Like, if you just shifted on your pillow a little bit it's i don't know he's got to tighten that up a little i used to always really look forward to toru yano versus kenny omega because we'd only get it like once a year and it would happen inside of the g1 it was when kenny got to you know be like aew kenny for that one match in new japan um but now i kind of feel like that person is becoming kenta like i love kenta versus yano there i don't know why for no apparent reason but I always feel like that is just such a fun match. That and Zach and Yano, that's that's typically pretty entertaining, too. Yeah. Well, there's got to be some highlights to this. I mean... It's just nice to see those guys that are so serious let their hair down a little for, like, you know, that one match. Even though I don't understand why they let Yano get away with all the things that he gets away with. Like, shouldn't that just be a disqualification? He's got scissors in his boot. Yeah, it's an instant... You know? uh, can you prove he's not attempting a murder right now? Yeah. I thought it was great when he tried to murder Chase Owens. I I popped hard. That was well, no. great. That was a little different presentation for him, but most uh, violent player Yano. Let's talk about Zack Saber Jr., the guy that everybody thought was going to win the entire freaking tournament like three days in. His wins against Great Okan, Kota Ibushi, Tetsuya Naito, Shingo Takagi, um, Yujiro, and Yano. When you tap out. Shingo Takagi, Tatsuya Naito, and Kota Ibushi in your first three matches of the G1 Climax, things are not going to end well for you, young man, because there's always somebody that starts really, really hot and then cools off. This year it was Zack Sabre Jr. They do give him a hell of a consolation prize as he has that five-minute UWF-style match with Katsutori Shibata on the final night of the blocks. Zack is my MVP of this tournament. I thought Zach was just fantastic throughout this tournament. And I feel like Zach's presentation is kind of evolving a little bit to where he's not just the snot nosed kid from the UK. Like 
I think there's a certain level of respect now between the Japanese fans and Zack Sabre Jr. That's why he was in that Shibata spot, because they know that he is not going to go out there and hurt Katsutori Shibata. I thought Zack had a great tournament, and even though he didn't win it, he might be the guy that got the most over throughout the tournament. Maybe. But I've always felt that New Japan has been high on Zack, even if no one else is. I mean, look at how quickly he won that New Japan Cup. Yeah, and I mean, then they took it all away. Like, when he was tagging with Suzuki, I thought that they were going to go to Saber Goon. Like, he was going to take over the whole freaking faction. Then they have him take a step back. He joins up with the Dangerous Techers, which at first was like, this is kind of weird. And now he's gotten all this character work from Tai Chi and the rub from that. Like, I feel like Zach is definitely a much more rounded single star after being in those two tag teams. Really? I don't know. I, I would push back on that. I don't really see that much of an evolution of Zack Sabre. I mean, the, it's an evolution of what they're doing with Zack Sabre and how they're presenting Zack Sabre, maybe. But I've always felt like he's gotten a strong push, and he's he was instantly established as the person, much like Ishii, that could beat anybody on a given night because he's got such a, a different uh, style, you know, that, that he's going to come in with the wrestling, and that can take anybody down. And they made sure that he's gotten... Very strong wins over the years uh, against major, major people um, just just to establish him. So it, it's to me, it's less of an evolution and more of a logical continuation. Um, and I'm not going to I'm not going to argue too much that he deserves MVP consideration here because he's always able to put on a very entertaining match. What did you think of the Shibata thing? Um, I, I think that's one of the biggest stories coming out of the G1. And it was really rough for me, man. Like, I have a hard time watching Shibata in the ring at this point because I know just one failed move and that's it for Shibata. Yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> I mean, we knew that it wasn't going to be anything too dangerous for him uh, because it was going to be all grappling, so... I feel like they should stop this, though, because we've seen this a couple times now. And it's like, don't encourage him. Like, because he is pushing so hard to come back. Stop encouraging him. Stop letting him do this stuff. Because every time you do, he thinks there's that little glimmer of hope. I don't want to see it. I like, I love Shibata, but I, I don't want to see it for Shibata's sake. Like, you have to protect Shibata from Shibata. I think Shibata will come back. I think one of the reasons is probably because he never won the IWGP championship. So if in nothing else, it'll be like a consolation farewell retirement prize or something. He'll, he'll do just enough to be back around just long enough that he can get that. I don't know if he cares about that. I don't know. Uh, that's just, it's just, a, it's just, I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know if he really is a mark like that or if, if the company feels like they want to do that for him or whatever. But rest assured, if he comes back, I'm sure he'll be safe to come back. I don't think he's going to do anything that he shouldn't be doing because they should know how serious this stuff is. And, you know, you can you can work you can work around, you know, as, as long as you're not headbutting people, I think oh. I think we'll be all right uh, for the That's most part. I, I, I've used it quite frequently, and people have asked why. Hashtag no more headbutts. Mm -hmm. that, that's as a result of Kazutori Shibata. I mean, I, I, I don't want to see anybody do it anymore. Yeah, I don't know what he was thinking with that. I mean, oh, not, only, oh. not only did he 
injure himself, but he was headbutting the golden goose at that point. Right? Like, who the hell do you think you are? You know? Oh, I don't think I'll ever forget that sound. That would oh, just absolutely awful. Let's talk about Kenta. Speaking of absolutely awful. Wait a minute. I was very disappointed in Kenta this year. His, really? He finishes with 12 points, which, you know, all in all, pretty damn good. His wins, Great Okan, Tomohiro Ishii, Tango Loa, Zack Sabre Jr., Yujiro, and then the two points from Tetsuya Naito. I don't know what it is. Like, Kenta, I, when Kenta left pro wrestling Noah and came over to NXT, did the whole Hideo Itami thing, I was very disappointed because I enjoyed me watching some Kenta. And ever since he has returned, like, I, I don't get the Hideo Itami thing anymore. Like, I, I, I don't feel like I'm watching a former WWE superstar. I feel like I'm watching Kenta, but he does so much character work and so much just weird character work where I'm like, why would, why would you do that? Like, you're Kenta. You're a freaking assassin. You're one of the best pro wrestlers in the world, like, Kind of like the Brian Danielson, I'm going to go kick your fucking head in. Like, that's what I want out of Kenta. But he does so much weird stuff these days. And I'm just, it seems so off character for him. Well, he's my MVP. That's for sure. Uh, This is the most entertaining thing I've seen in wrestling all year long was Kenta, his backstage comments, his matches. Like, we've seen, look, you're a fan of Japanese wrestling. A lot of fans of Japanese wrestling. You've seen guys kick each other. You know what it's like, okay? My favorite thing, my favorite move in wrestling, Jargo, is when the bell rings and you powder out immediately. That's my favorite <laughs> wrestling move, bro. Because I want to see these guys work. You know, I've seen I've seen good matches, and there's other guys that they're here, there to have good matches. I'm here to watch guys get away with as much shenanigans as they can, and... You would think I would like Yano a lot more for that, but he's just the shit, so I don't. Kenta's not the shit, so I do. He's like, his dude, his promos are so funny. Like when he's talking about Kota Ibushi being a 40 year old man that calls himself God and why, why it's so weird. Like, that is some of the best pro. Like, he's the best promos. He's got the best promos right now. I don't care what anybody says about Paul Heyman or Roman Reigns. No, the best promos are Kenta, uh, period. End of story. I, I, feel like Kenta takes a lot of Jay White's shtick. You know what I mean? And so as I'm watching Kenta, I'm just like, man, I wish Jay was in this tournament. Like the powder immediately as soon as the bell yeah. rings. Like to me, that's the Jay White shtick, you know? Yeah. It is. It is. And and they, they should form a tag team where right? they start the match and they both, <laughs> they both like, powder. yeah, they both powder. Like one rolls under and the other one drops off the apron and they go have a conference. Like, this is the only drawback with Kenta is that he's not interacting with enough of the Bullet Club right. that he could be to get even more comedy out of it. Like there'd be, it would be so great to have like a five man, you know, elimination type match like we've been seeing in Cork and Hall the past few days, where it's it's just him plus the House of Torture, and he's trying to understand what the hell's going on with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that interaction would be priceless. And because it's basically a house show, you could get away with that and no one's going to feel ripped off. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I really, I really enjoy Kenta. Now I can see what you're saying. If you go back to the old, the old Noah days and, and you're a fan of that guy, um, which I'm not as like, uh, uh, what's the word? I'm not as educated on that Kenta. Of course I've seen, you know, 
his matches right. from that era, but not a lot and not to the point that everybody else did. Um, so seeing this and seeing him do this also, I want to give him props for another thing. Like when he, he, he kind of had unstable footing when he first came to new Japan, there were a lot of unfortunate, you know, mistakes. So you would call botches maybe. Um, and he, he really wasn't getting a rhythm and his matches didn't have very good psychology or a good story. I think he's fixed that now. I think he's, he's much better in that aspect of the, of the storytelling, the match and, and still showing that vicious side, you know, like that's kind of what makes, um, the comedic side a little bit better is because you know, the assassins underneath. And that's what also makes the assassin attacks even sharper because you know that you're conditioned to seeing him as a goofball lately. So it's kind of like the two things kind of complement each other, a nice contrast. Um, but I also want to give him props for uh, showing up in the best shape I've seen him since yeah. the Noah days. Like he Absolutely. is, he is really looks good. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I can't put over Kenta enough. He was my MVP for sure. Um, I love the guy. You got to look good if you're going to kick in the ace's head. I mean, they, and it seems like that's the direction that we're going with Kenta right now. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. I still recognize him as my IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Shingo Takagi finishes with 13 points thanks to that bastard Yujiro Takahashi. His wins against the Great Okan, Tomohiro Ishii, Kenta, Tango Loa, Tetsuya Naito's two points, and, of course, the matchup with Yano. Vet, where are you at with this Shingo title reign? Because Shingo seemed so much cooler before he won the championship. Like, I, I feel like the chase was absolutely the money in Shingo. Yeah. Uh, well, first, I thought you recognized him as your IWGP World Divas champion. I thought that's what you. Yeah, it is the Divas championship. I just want to especially, especially now. Especially now, now that daddy's home, that belt looks really bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I already made the, the distinction about guys from the Hamaguchi gym and how they're just not quite at the level. Um, he's also gotten fat, uh, even fatter than he was the last time we saw him. I've noticed that too. Like he, he he's eaten like he's a world champion or something. Yep. Like going out and enjoying the steakhouse every night. Too, too many trips to a certain family restaurant, I guess, you know, right. since Naito's not around, he's got to go there. Um, I, I definitely, yeah. So he's, he's about 10 to 15 pounds overweight. And I don't think it's affecting his performance in the ring necessarily, but it definitely affects the cosmetics. And I don't know, like, I I want to like him, but I just, I'm not sure he's really that guy. I think he's the, like, you know, we're talking about experimentation with this new belt, and they're giving it to guys that they don't necessarily, you know, trust with the... The, the daddy as you called it um so so it's like let's give shingo a try you know uh it, i i don't know i i don't i don't i'm not saying it's a failure but i am saying that there's just a little something missing like he seems like a really good top of the middle bottom of the top guy but i don't know about the face of the company 
Yeah, no, agreed. Like, he feels like he should be walking around with the Intercontinental title, not the IWGP right. World Heavyweight title. However, it does set up, if we were able to, it does set up a nice bit of intrigue between Naito and Takagi because that could have been where they were going for Wrestle Kingdom. That could have been what they wanted to do. And now that's sort of, you know, taken away from us. But uh, it, it could have been intriguing there. Let's talk about God. Kota Ibushi wins the block, 14 points, wins against the Great Okan, Tomohiro Ishii, Kenta, Tangaloa, Tetsuya Naito's two points, and then, of course, Yano and the win against Shingo Takagi. Do you think Naito was the plan here? Do, do you think that he was supposed to win this block now that we've kind of talked through it, or do you think the plan was always for Ibushi to go to his fourth straight final? Gosh, I not sure i i can't be sure because that's part of what makes the g1 so exciting you don't know anybody could well not anybody but most you know a good handful of guys could um and they could always decide that they're going to experiment again and pull out a surprise just because they win the g1 doesn't mean they have to go on and be the champion we've seen that right hiroki goto so we you know but um yeah, I don't know if it was always the plan or if they changed it on the fly. I just don't know. A block booking was still pretty open as we went into the final night. Of course, we would see, you know, the draw with Shingo and Yujiro. We would see Zach fall. And so by the time the final match came around, we knew it was going to be winner take all. Um, but the that A block, Gato did a masterful job of booking. The B block booked very, very differently this year as we had kind of the parallel story running through things, but that really hurt those below inside of the points total. So we have guys like Chase Owens with four points, wins over Taichi and Hiroshi Tanahashi because, you know, we have to have an American challenger for the IWGP United States Championship. Like, we should have saw that one coming. Like that shouldn't have been an upset. We should have seen that one coming. Yeah. Well, I, I don't really like the whole, this guy can't win a match until it, it's a very important match. Like in that sense, like there's matches Chase Owens could have won to still be in doubt as to that match. You didn't have to lose every single one. Right. Um, and I don't know that we really do need an American challenger for the United States championship. Um, because I always maintain that, uh, doesn't matter what country you're in or what promotion it is or whatever. Uh, the fans want to see the biggest stars. They don't care where they're from. And unfortunately, that is not Chase Owens. I not mean, even close. Not even just a not. little bit. Tai Chi finishes with six points in this tournament. Wins against Goto Sonata and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Tai Chi might be my number two disappointment throughout this tournament. Um, and I say that just because of his points total. I thought no. Tai Chi was going to be much more of a player throughout this tournament than he really was. Right. And you have to wonder why that might have been. Um, if there was some other extenuating circumstance that we don't know about, uh, maybe those he. Well, no, I can't say I can't I can't blame like an injury or something because he was in every match and every match was a competitive match. So right. he worked hard. Um, and me, it seemed there. like they were pushing him. Like yeah. Tai Chi has been on a tear since returning from the pandemic, you know, and, and right. when they canceled all those shows, I thought he was going to be a much bigger player throughout this block. 
Well, I liked Lazy Tai Chi. I found him very entertaining, much in the same way as Kenta. And then I also uh, like when he got fired up Tai Chi when uh, Ishii finally brought it out of him that time and made him work hard. And he's been kind of stuck in that work hard mindset ever since. And he, yep. he wants to be a Yokozuna now. So, um, you know, I enjoy both versions and I like a combination too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the thing about the B block, it seems that usually the B block is the one that's not in doubt. It seems like they put all the jobbers in the B block and that's why it was weird. Cause I don't think I, like I mentioned, I don't think I ever seen Okada in the B block before. Um, and here he was, uh, but yeah, it was really just a two person race the entire time. And it was never in doubt. Yeah, especially once we saw the schedule and saw Cobb versus Okada the final night. We kind of saw how this was going to go. Tama Tonga finishes with six points, beats Chase Owens, beats Tai Chi, and then in the shocker of the tournament, Tama Tonga defeats Kazuchika Okada. Of course, we had to have at least one challenger to Okada, to, so he has to defend what we assumed at that time would be the briefcase and the contract. Were you surprised Tama was the guy that they put in that position? It almost felt like a gold watch for having a killer tournament. Yeah, uh, I was surprised. Anybody that says they're not surprised is lying. Um, but when it gets down to it... Um, Made I sense, mean, but... Nobody runs the table, right? Like, everybody at least takes one L on there. And so we kind of just assumed that... Um, you know, it it might towards the end it looked like it was definitely going to come down to an Okada versus Cobb, both guys undefeated thing. But if that was the case, then somebody would have had to run the table. So, uh, yeah, they they throw the little red herring in there and put the doubt in there, and they pick with Tamatanga again, the least likely of guys, um, which which makes it somewhat unbelievable. Um, but, uh. You know, it's fine. Tomatonga is very cool. Like, I like him, and he's very capable, and you know that he's always going to be entertaining no matter what he does. Whether he's in the ring or on the microphone, he's going to be entertaining. So it's a great choice. Um, but they could have gave him, like, some other wins, too, here and there. They could have sprinkled a win or two here. Yeah, very much agreed. Very much agreed. Yoshihashi, the disappointment of New Japan Pro Wrestling, just all the way around. Yeah. Yoshihashi has had probably the best year of his professional wrestling career. And so I kind of hope that maybe we would see that reflected inside of the G1. Six ha. points. Six ha. points. And really the only match as I looked through all of them, his wins against Chase, Taichi, Tamatonga, the only match of his entire tournament that stood out to me was Yoshihashi in the main event of a G1 climax. Granted, it was against Kazuchika Okada, but it was just like Yoshihashi in a main event. Really? It had to happen. Uh, do you, do you wear uh, slippers around your house? Because you might not be able to feel how cold hell is right now. Right. Um, if you've got feet coverings. So. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Freaking Yoshihashi. Freaking Yoshihashi. Yoshihashi and then there's freaking Goto. <laughs> of course. We thought he was going to, it was going to be his year. It could have been Goto's year. Could have been, but no, he finishes with six points. Wins against Chase Owens, Tamatanga, and Yoshihashi. And the least memorable G1 of probably everybody that we're going to talk about today. Wow. did he Has he ever scored that low before? I don't think so. I think this was Goto's worst G1. And not just in the respect that, like, there's nothing that stands out about Goto's G1 to me. Right. Absolutely and nothing. 
And is that some kind of a message to Goto? I mean, he's been a loyal soldier. I think you could show him a little more respect than six points, right? You would think, right? It's just nothing. Absolutely nothing out of Goto this year. Very disappointing. And then, by comparison, you have Sonata. Sonata finishes with eight points. Goto Chase, Tamatonga, and Yoshihashi, his wins. Um, probably the best match of the tournament for me was Taichi and Sonata. I, I, I Those two guys have great chemistry together. I'm not really sure what it is, but they just have great matches and great chemistry with one another. Did Sonata take another step back? Like, it seemed like a year ago we were kind of teasing we might have plans for Sonata. No, we have no plans for Sonata. The no great Sonata, as Billy Ray Valentine likes to call. I Nothing great about him. I, uh, I'm i not sure why they teased that recently, like somewhat recently. Yeah. Um, like with the whole calling Okada a rival thing or, or Okada calling him a rival. And, and you really think he's going to take that next step and remain at that upper echelon of competitors and then it's like, get it's this like, shit. It's like Michigan and Ohio State, right? Michigan likes to call themselves a rival to Ohio State. When Ohio State whips that ass year in and year out, it's not a rivalry anymore. It's your yearly ass kicking. And that's how I feel about Sonata and Okada. Yeah, except they put him over Okada at certain times. So it's like... Well, every okay. once in a while, yeah. you know, not when it counts, thankfully. Out, but, but yeah, they made it made a scene. And and look, you look at him, and you're like, okay, I can see all the tools there of what they're seeing, but for whatever reason, they don't want to do it. And I think they have their reasons. Maybe it's like we can't always articulate what we don't like about a certain performer. Um, maybe it's just like a feeling we get sometimes. Sometimes we can definitely articulate it. Uh, and we have, I think, on this show alone uh, in the past 55 minutes. But um, but with Sonata, it's more of a, eh. And, I, and I, I think we talked about in the past where I look at Sonata and I kind of feel like he's soft compared to some of the other guys that are in top guy positions. Like, he doesn't have, none of his shit looks particularly devastating. A lot of it's very fancy and technical. But you can say the same thing about Zack Sabre Jr., so that's not necessarily like a a death knell for for a guy's push, um, but yeah, it's just like he's always he's always rolling guys up with fancy pins or you know his finisher is just a regular moonsault, which it's like we you know maybe an eighty nine, but right now we've it for some reason you do the TKO and it seems like much more impactful, way um, more impactful. Yeah, but I, I so I don't know, but he he he's he's a handsome kid, he looks good. He could do anything you want, pretty much, but his matches, like the psychology in his matches, are just phony. You know, like you don't, you don't shoot a guy in and then jump over him twice. There's no reason to do that. You know what I mean? So just, he got if he if he figured out how to work his shit in that where it made more sense, that would go like a little bit further towards you know. But I don't even know how much guys like Gato will even consider that because if that's all it took, Gato could just tell him, "Hey, don't do that. Do this." Like he see, he seems to with so many other guys. Well, and I think the other part of the problem is, you know, when Sonata long before he even went to TNA and they had him on top at all Japan, it didn't work. And it's like, if it didn't work now, why would, why was it going to work today? You yeah. know? And, and I think they're right. I mean, I, I feel like it would be a Shingo thing where it's like, oh yeah, it's cool to see Sonata get his gold watch, but 
he's just not a very good champ. Like I, I just cannot imagine Sonata walking around with the big boy belt. Sorry, Billy Ray Valentine. Just not, not going to happen. Let's talk about the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi, eight points. Goto, Sonata, Tamatonga, and Yoshihashi, his four wins. Those might be the four most unimpressive wins of the Aces G1 career. Um, it felt like this was more about trying to establish challengers for the IWGP US title and the Tanahashi, I'm going to put guys over tour kind of continues. Yeah, I, um, I'm not sure if I'm a fan of this tour. I think I'd like to get off, please. Yeah. Um, I, 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 don't think that the ace should be, you know, running through everybody. Um, but I also, I also would like, you know, he's not, we're not putting him out to pasture just yet. Uh, if you have him lose too many times to too many different people, then the losses don't mean as much for the people that get the wins, yep. you know, like you can't like, if he, if he loses to Kenta, right then that's not a great win for Kenta because this guy got beat by Chase Owens and nobody should be right. bragging about beating a guy that beat Chase o or got beat by Chase Owens. Um, and that's nothing against the individuals. Of course, I'm just talking about if we're, if we're setting aside, uh, if we're setting aside our disbelief and just looking at this universe as a reality, um, that doesn't make sense. So I'd like Tanahashi to win the matches he should win. And then the wins for the wins that you want to give other people at his expense will help get those guys over so much more. But uh, yeah, so I, I just want to see them take care of the ace a little more. I had the same things to say about Suzuki, right? You know, like you can't just bring Suzuki in, say he's a killer and he's been all over the world killing people for years and he's the scariest guy ever. And then he just loses to bums. You know, you can't do that. Yep. Um, so nor should you want to, um, so yeah, I, I think certain people need to learn how to book some of these some of these guys and, and respect the legacy a little bit more. If you're gonna use it to your other wrestler's advantage, um, you gotta start with respecting the guy that you're asking to do a job. And there's more than one way to put a guy over, right? Like it seems to me it must have been three, four years ago now. Tanahashi was talking about starting a faction. It was gonna be Tanahashi's faction of light. And I was really, really intrigued by that because we were talking about guys like Yoshihashi, guys like, you know, Kota Ibushi that were kind of, that could fall in line underneath of the ace and maybe get a fresh start with chaos seemingly on its dying legs. And Tanahashi at this point in his career, I think now is the time to do it. Like pull the trigger and have Tanahashi build his faction of light. He can get, he can give guys a rub more than one way. Yeah. I mean, even in a defeat, you can get a guy over if you know what you're doing. And he certainly does. I think back to the, um, the farewell match that Kushida had against Tanahashi. Yeah. And you saw a version of Tanahashi. You don't normally get to see the, the borderline heel Dick, you know, sort of like, I'm going to impose my will on you right. uh, because you're smaller than me. <laughs> like that kind of a guy. And that was the most entertained I'd ever been by a Kushida match up to that point, even though he didn't necessarily do anything spectacular, but he did his Kushida things and Tanahashi did his evil Tanahashi things. And it just, it just reminds you like, wow, this guy really is good. You know, he's not just an air guitar playing goofball. Um, 
uh, shit like that. So he can beat guys and get them over. That's not the issue. But it, like I said, you gotta. It, it's gotta mean something when you when you win or lose. And I don't know if these guys all know how to do that. Did you ever watch my dad's a heel wrestler? Yes. I I'm ready for El Cockroach. Yeah. Like, give me El Cockroach. Damn right. I thought yeah. that character was. I thought that movie was so underrated. It was, was so good. Good movie, man. Um, so good. Is uh is Dragon George next on our list? <laughs> <laughs> we got it. We got a couple more until we okay. get to Dragon George. First, okay. we've got to talk about evil and the House of Torture. Evil. They kept in this thing until damn near the final night, and I was like, "So help me God, New Japan Pro Wrestling." You know, like the New Japan Cup was one thing. I don't even want to see Evil as a finalist for this oh, freaking tournament. Like, I will lose my mind. Evil with cheap-ass wins over Hiroki Goto, Chase Owens, Sonata, Taichi, Tamatonga, Tanahashi, Yoshihashi. I am so over this Evil thing. Like, oh. I, I realize you need, like, you know, the rule breaker. You need You need that one guy. But, man, I am just, I am exhausted with the evil shenanigans um evil is trying his ass off to make people hate him and i don't know if they hate him enough like he's built up so much goodwill from his lij days that they just refuse to hate him and he keeps coming out with these cool sets of armor from fallout or whatever they're from <laughs> and you know all this shit like you're just it, it, he just i don't know there's just something about evil evil that's like I don't know. He's he's just like a cuddly teddy bear. You just want to give him a hug, and then he's like, "Oh, look at that's so cute! How how Dick Togo's running and choking somebody with a garrote wire." Oh, you know, like he, I, I don't know. I, I get a different feeling from Evil. But that being said, um, he's trying to be a heel, and he's doing whatever it takes to be a heel in Japan. The problem is, Japan is so respectful that they just don't want to hate anybody anymore. I think Tai Chi was the last guy. And they respected him too much, and it's all Ishii's fault for dragging that that fight out of him, like I was talking about earlier. And now they can't even hate Tai Chi anymore, so they're just gonna like everybody to a certain degree. It's funny that you say that because ever since Evil joined Bullet Club, right? It's all been inside of the pandemic. It's all been inside of the clap crowds, and the mm -hmm. only way the Japanese fans can make noise is by clapping and stomping their feet. So it's almost like they're cheering evil or like that's the way that bit. it comes across yeah. but they can't boo him but you've seen when they snapped out of it when they just can't take it and they just gotta boo yeah or they gotta cheer or they gotta gasp like they they do lose control sometimes like and when he never his music hit right an audible gasp from the right. crowd yes so we know that if it's big enough they'll they'll react the way they're supposed to but i don't think that evil can get that reaction just by being a fake heel because they know it you know they know what it is and when you and the thing is like when you when they're playing along with what's supposed to be going on they see a guy like jay white and he tries to talk all this shit to them and they don't speak english so they don't know what he's saying all they see is a guy fucking winning all the time and they respect that so right. it's not getting you the same level of heat um, that 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 you want to get. I think Evil's doing what he can. I, not not like Evil sitting there saying, "Look, I've got to get more heat." But whatever they're doing with him, uh, I I think he's trying and he's he's carrying off his part just fine. But I just don't know if it works in this environment. I don't know if people can truly hate that guy. Yeah. 
so it doesn't quite come off right. Oh, I hate that guy. I can't oh. freaking stand him. Can't oh, stand well. him. How does a guy like that get Io Shirai? Like, come on. <laughs> Very evilly. Talk about a heel. Jeez. He's, he is justice. Okay. Let's let's talk about the Jargo. You guys went through the the B block so much faster than the A block. That's because there's only two guys worth talking about. Mm-hmm. Jeff Cobb finishes his tournament eight and one, sixteen points. Jeff Cobb has become the monster of New Japan Pro Wrestling. They have turned him into the American Kaiju. That should be his nickname, the American Kaiju. Jeff Cobb. Um, Cobb had an incredible tournament up until, you know, he ran into some heavy rain on the last night. Um, where are you at with Jeff Cobb? Where, how do you feel about Jeff Cobb as a single star? Is he going back into the tag team with Ocon? What, what, what is the plan for Jeff Cobb as we look forward to Wrestle Kingdom next year? Shit. What is the plan for anybody in the United Empire? We got guys all over the planet trying to do stuff with that. Yeah. And I don't know if, like, I'm not really keeping up with all of it. Um, as for Jeff Cobb, uh, I feel like Jeff Cobb's being pushed down my throat. And no offense to Jeff Cobb, but again, we're talking about the last time we see this guy in a G1, he's losing to Yujiro Takahashi, which no one should ever do. Right. Um, and it doesn't spell good news if you do, because we saw what happened to Kota Ibushi this year. And, you know, so so here's Jeff Cobb, and he's he gets off on this, this string of wins. Now, Jeff Cobb's just going out there and having a lot of the same matches that he would always have. He's perfectly serviceable hand. Like, there's nothing really wrong with Jeff Cobb. Um, it's just that they decide he's going to win all these now. And I don't know. I just don't, I just don't buy it. I don't buy the 180 degree turn, you know, he's, he's, he hasn't really won anything significantly until that Okada match. And we talked about the booking of that, right? Where you really want to make a Jeff Cobb. It should have been a, a third times the charm situation, lose to Okada, lose to Okada, maybe win here. And then, you know, if the plan was Naito all along or whatever, then have Naito right. and Jeff Cobb, something like that. And then he, he falls short there. <clears throat> but that sets up something for him to do afterwards with, you know, Okada or whatever. So here we just had Jeff Cobb basically uh, winning matches just so it could put doubt on whether Okada could come out of that sorry-ass B-block. That's really all it was. And I still feel like Jeff Cobb the ceiling is the the bad motherfucker championship, the never open weight championship now that which is kind of the number two belt or the intercontinental championship, which I, I, I think Ishii should win back the bad motherfucker belt. Mm-hmm. And then when when Jay comes back, you know, since since we've got daddy's home, right? So now that the version four is back, why not just have Jeff come out or or not Jeff, uh, Jay White come out with the Intercontinental Championship and be like, yeah. I figured if Okada can do it, I can do it too. Going to dust this thing off. And, yeah. and, and and that should be the Jeff Cobb level. Like I could see him as a, the bad motherfucker champion. I could see him as the intercontinental champion. I don't see him as the new Japan pro wrestling divas champion. Yeah. I, I don't know, but maybe they do. So I don't know. Or maybe this, maybe just this having a great G one was just a consolation for knowing that at the end, it's not going to mean anything. Cause he's going to have to do another job. Maybe that. Maybe it was for all the stuff before where he did all the jobs with great Ocon and tag team matches, singles matches, whatever the case may be leading up to his great G one. I, I really don't know what, where, where Jeff Cobb is going to go. 
Um, I just know that it seems like a little bit of a yo-yo in terms of like his momentum. Like he's either a complete a complete jobber joke or he's the threat to win the Divas Championship. Right. So let's talk about the man, the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada finishes his tournament eight and one, wins over everybody that's not Tamatonga. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he I thought this was the best Okada we had seen in probably two to three years. He looks like he is in fantastic shape. He's going out there. He's having Okada matches again. He goes out. He has great matches with Jeff Cobb. He was having a great match with Kota Ibushi until Ibushi did something stupid and fell on his shoulder. Um, and Okada looked pissed. He looked so mad at that. When, when we first found out what was going on, Okada just looked livid that Ibushi would have the audacity to go out and get injured during his match. He was having a five-star match, damn it. Um, So the Rainmaker back on top, there's some people that are not very happy about this, and then there's other people like me that are like, hey, calm your tits, all right? Okada, he went 500 and some odd days between, you know, when he lost the championship to when he even challenged for it again. By Wrestle Kingdom, it's going to be two years New Japan Pro Wrestling needs stability. Go ahead, give Okada all the belts. Let him run around with them for three to four years at this point. We need stability. We need the standard. We need the rainmaker in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Well, for now, it looks like we have it. So I got a question for you. So, you know, typical day for you. You wake up, you know, you get your coffee going get the kids off to school, you know, do you ever just take that moment and just bask in the knowledge that you're alive during the Rainmaker era and you got to see all this? Yeah. Um, CM Punk made a comment on AEW when he first came back about Mm -hmm. how, you know, we need to start giving people their roses while they're still around really Mm -hmm. appreciate, you know, being inside of this moment. I feel that way about Okada. I I really do. Like, we are watching one of the greatest pro wrestlers of all time on Mm -hmm. one of the greatest runs, one of the greatest pushes of all time. And I think the reason that people are upset by Okada being in this position is because they feel like he never left. Like, you cannot look at Kazuchika Okada without thinking, that's the man. Like, I don't care who's walking around with that belt. That's the guy. That's the face of the company. He is New Japan Pro Wrestling. He looks the part. He talks the part. He wrestles the part. It's kind of like Nick Aldis in the NWA, where he just plays champion very, very well, whether he has the belt or not. And then I saw him come out at you know the most recent shows, and he's got daddy with him. He's got the IWGP heavyweight championship, the version for the belt that everybody knows, everybody loves, that is so synonymous with Kazuchika Okada at this point. And it's suddenly the Divas Championship. It's just like, yeah, Shingo, you can have that. Just go do whatever it is that you're doing. Osprey, you and your fake title, just stay over in the States. We don't need you anymore. Daddy's home. Yeah. Um. On that note, um, before I forget, it seemed very strange that now with the way things played out where I'm sure it wasn't planned for Ibushi to dislocate his shoulder. Um, and yet here is a contingency plan right away because even in the 
post-match comments he was talking about using this belt as a in place of a contract so like was that always the plan and then he just related it to Kota Ibushi as like a symbol that he's going to face him again. Or if Ibushi just got beat like normal, he was saying, I just want to carry this belt instead of the contract. And he like changed it on the fly, which would just be another layer to his genius. Um, Cause no one would have had time to tell him that, you know what I mean? Like there's no way anybody could have told him, Hey, say this thing, you know, he, he had to come up with that on the spot. There was no time. So, well, and, Okada has an attachment to that belt. And right. I think it's I think it's all the lineage and all the history that that belt represents and and Okada being very much that kind of a student even when like the the title merge was going on when we were creating the World Heavyweight Championship, Okada was against it and very vocally against it. Like why would I even want the Intercontinental Championship? I am the IWGP world champion. I am the heavyweight champion. I don't need that second rate belt. Right. Like he, he never wanted it to begin with. And he had said that if he would have won, you know, when they did the two nights, he was going to keep the belt separate. He didn't want anything to do with the intercontinental championship. So even now with him bringing back the V four as his G one prize, I'm going to defend this belt instead of the contract. And I'm going to hold on to this belt until Ibushi's all better and ready to go. I mean, I, I feel like this is Okada splitting the titles again. He doesn't want, like he might hate the intercontinental championship more than Tetsuya Naito at this point. Yeah, he might. And the thing about the other stuff is, like, I don't know if he's just saying that in character or if that's what he really thinks, because that's right. what he says in public. And in Japan, they don't tell you, like, they don't break a kayfabe like fucking some people do. I mean, uh, King of Pro Wrestling is Okada's fault, as far as everybody knows. Like, that was his idea. <laughs> yeah, right. And then we all know damn well he didn't come up with that idea. No way he came up with that. So, Yeah. Um, anyway, let's talk about the man, though. Um, we could do a whole separate bonus destino on why Kazucho Okada is one of the greatest, possibly the greatest to ever live. Um, but to your point about like giving the guys roses, like a similar way to that, what you're saying is like, you remember when um, Brett Favre went to the Jets? Oh, yeah. And people were like, man, just retire, just retire. And then he went to the Vikings. They're like, why don't you just retire and all this other stuff? It's like, look, at this point, whether you're a fan of his or not, you should just be lucky to be watching this guy. Right. Like, and same thing that people are saying today about Tom Brady. Like if you hate him before, just appreciate it now that this craziness is still going on. You know, like you don't have to like it, but just appreciate it stuff. Um, one of like, there's so many reasons why Okada's the best <clears throat> that uh, we don't have time to get into them all. Even if we did a bonus episode, it would have to be a supersized bonus episode. I could uh, probably I, do like a five part series. Right. Simply entitled why I love Kazushka Okada. Right. And, and let me tell you, like, no matter if you're out there, anybody out there listening, uh, it doesn't matter how big of a fan you are of his. You don't even know why he's good. It doesn't matter how much you like him. He's still underrated. It doesn't matter how many people rate him highly. He's still underrated. Like people just don't get it. But I'll give you like the tiniest taste, just the tiniest uh, one of like number 795,000, uh, 673 on the list of why he's the greatest, right? You remember the match he had with Chase Owens? Mm-hmm. Remember when Chase Owens picked him up in that pile driver? For a second there, did you think Chase Owens was going to win that match? 
just for that split second. It wouldn't like that's the thing about Okada. He just makes everybody look so good. He had a main event with Yoshihashi. He did. And it felt like the main event of that show. Right. I mean, th- th- there's nothing that personifies how great Okada is more than he had a main event match with Yoshihashi. Right. Well, if there's anything that's strong enough to combat Okada's greatness, it's Yoshihashi's terribleness. So it could be a draw on that one. But I mean, like, you would have thought that Tama Tonga was King Haku watching that match, the way that he right. sold for freaking Tama Tonga. Right. And, and that and that is the thing, but that that is one of his gifts is just making you believe in certain ways like that. Like Chase Owens is not going to pick somebody all the way up for the package pile driver if he's not going to drop him. But for that one time, he picked him all the way up, and I was like, oh my god, are they? I wasn't thinking of like, like well, I was thinking of the booking. Like, are they going to do this to him? I you mean, know? look at what they did to Ibushi night one. You got right? to Yujiro. Right. So you know those things are. It's like that's what makes the matches so exciting. And watching these, even though they shouldn't be in doubt, he's able to put that doubt in your mind in even the most impossible of situations. And that's a rare gift that I don't know if I've ever seen to the degree that he does it. You know, it's hard to call him the greatest of all time when so many people have come before him. You know, that, right. you know, anybody that's currently around, it's hard to call them the greatest at all time because they wouldn't have been where they are without the people that paved the way, you know, so it's kind of hard, but he's got to be up there. And, um, yeah, this tournament was no exception. Having to carry that block and have those matches with those terrible wrestlers and and make them seem, like, legitimate somewhat. And yet, still, like, it, it's not like he just lets them get all their shit in and and sells for it and then just wins at the end. He looks dominant the whole time. But he makes it seem like they're going to slip over, you know? He, like, he it, didn't get got. He can yes. get got like Tama Tonga, right? Like right. Okada really did that to himself. Like Tama, right. Tama went for the cutter multiple times, couldn't get it. And then he ends up reversing Okada's own offense into the cutter. Right. So the only drawback to Kazucho Okada uh, as a talent is that he can't ever go anywhere else, but new Japan because they won't let him do things. Nobody will. They, they will have him do stupid shit. And then if you, if he stays there, he's done everything there is to do. Yeah. So it's like, he might as well come up with a little KOPW trophy or something. Cause there's nothing else to do. And the stuff he hasn't done, he doesn't want to do. Like you said, with the intercontinental championship and stuff like that. So I like him staying in new Japan forever, but it's unfortunate that the ignorant masses don't get to like fully appreciate it. Or even the people that are fans of his only check out a few of his matches a year, you know, like they, you have to kind of see him on the night in night out, like watching him at these Corican shows and these tag team matches and seeing like how he's got different levels to how he approaches things and stuff like that. You know, it's not going to be apparent to you if you just watch, you know, whichever matches Dave Meltzer gives six stars or whatever, that's, that's, you might see a good match, but if you're already sitting there with your arms crossed over your chest, like, well, let's see what's so great about him. You're not going to be impressed with one match. It's going to take like several dozen matches before you realize, Hey, wait a minute. This guy's way different. Um, but he I've, wins here. So I've often wondered if Okada would work in the States. Like if yes, Okada yes. would um, see, and I'm not sure 100%. on that. No, hundred percent. Sure. He would work. Yes. If, if you took his entire presentation and just transplanted it and didn't fuck with it, 
Yes, he's already over because you see what happens when he goes across the world. Even if people don't watch his matches, they know the name. Even if they're thinking of, they're, they're making fun of Meltzer, they still know his name. When he goes to other countries like, you know, England, Australia, the U.S., he was over when I saw him. And that's one of the, like, he, he, he draws, he drew me. The vet. I, I don't put anybody over. The the thing I mean though is could Okada be Okada in a setting where he has to go out and be Okada, but he only has seven minutes to do it? Like I I, I like the Okada match and the way that Okada matches are formatted, it feels like they almost all have to go like 20 to 25 minutes. Like could Okada go out and have a match in seven minutes with a three minute commercial break in the middle of it and still be Kazuchika Okada? Uh, the short answer is of course. I mean, the stuff he's doing now is way harder than that. The only difference is that's what they make people do here in the States. And by the States, I assume you just mostly mean the WWE. Let's face it. Like, that's what we're talking about here because that's the only platform that's worthy of like his, I, I mean, it's not worthy, but I'm just saying like in right. terms of the scope and reach, like where you would want eyeballs on him, take away the fact of how they would completely ruin him in the booking. They would give him a different name. He wouldn't get the entrance music or whatever. But if he, if you just told him you had to have a seven minute match, of course he could do that. But more what would actually need to happen is he should just be like a more or let's say less of a part-time Brock Lesnar like special attraction yeah you don't go like he'd be there every week doing something not necessarily having a match but if he's going to have a match it's going to be a big deal because you would want him to be the top of your company you want him to be the face of your company because you would want everybody else to get the rub that comes with working with him and he would have to be that sort of Ric Flair person where it's like, it's up to me to make all these guys, you know, he's got Ric Flair in his DNA, you know, like not literally, but just like in terms of like why, one of the reasons why he's so good, he's got to have those 60 minute matches with guys that probably shouldn't be having 60 minute matches. And he makes them look like they should be having 60 minute matches. <coughs> look, Kenny Omega. Yeah. I was going to say <laughs> that guy would still be known as the doll wrestler if he didn't have those matches with him. So, um, he could definitely do it, um, but you would have to make him more of an attraction that, like, every week you'd have to see him just doing a vignette or a promo or 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 he would have to have a TV main event that's 25 minutes. Um, so he doesn't have to go away for months at a time like Brock, but he has to be used a little more sparingly like Edge recently, I guess. You know, where you just kind of show up, you know, make your appearance and, and then take off it would definitely work because he has a universal appeal that everybody can understand you look at him he looks like a somebody he checks all the boxes he's got catchphrases he's got he's got dyed hair he's got he's tall he's fit um he's got great gear he's got uh entrance coats he's got cool music um there's nothing he doesn't do and he could speak enough english that it wouldn't really matter but i think english is a little bit overrated in people's turn you know in, in people's eyes agreed so he Okada speaks fine English. He just can't conversate in English. Right. Like if he can sit down and like form out, okay, this is what I'm going to say. He can mm -hmm. go out there and cut a promo, but his problem is Japanese to English is, you know, is very, mm -hmm. very difficult to begin with right. the translation in real time that mm -hmm. he can't conversate, but he can speak English just fine. So. Well, man, you know what? Like, talk about a dream scenario where if you had, let, let's say, uh, just it, 
let's just let's just make a fantasy scenario where we start another company from the ground up that's as big as AEW and WWE, right, and has all the money. And you would put a guy like that on top, and you'd also bring in Kenta because then you have another performer on the show. So you got two cool Japanese guys, and then you can fill out your roster with all other kinds of you know diverse performers or whatever. But you've got the two cool Japanese guys, and back behind the scenes, Kenta will be helping Okada with the English and Japanese because he'll teach him more English because he knows a lot. Dude, that promo he cut in English was fucking awesome. Was Kenta did right and still funny like his japanese promos so he could teach okada the the english that he needs to learn and have that good communication there and then he could do his own shit like on the side you know that would be that would be a perfect scenario but no the perfect scenario is okada stays in new japan like he is and he remains a top guy and helps the company you know pack the arenas like he wants to do i laughed my ass off i will wrap up on this note I laughed my ass off when AEW was doing their casino battle Royal. And they're like, who's the Joker going to be? And I'm seeing these people that are like, oh, it's going to be Okada. And it's like, wait, so you think during a global pandemic, like, let's put that on the top, right? So during a global pandemic, Okada is going to leave Japan. He's going to fly to the United States to be in a five-man ladder match in the middle of the G1 Climax. Okay, if that's what you want to go with. Well, that that just goes to show you that nobody watches New Japan and follows it and doesn't know what's going on over there. Yeah, it's kind of the point. Nobody watched the G1 this year, and they should have because it was a good tournament. I enjoyed it. Ended up being good. Um, Speaking of of G1s and tournaments, who won the uh, stardom thing? Shuri. Shuri won the five-star Grand Prix. She will be facing off with Utami in right towards Christmas, I think, is when the match is going down. It'll be their third matchup this year. The first two have ended in draws. Um, So, well, actually, they kind of had three because they had a 30-minute match. It ended in a draw, and then they were like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not done. And then that ended in a double countout. And then they had a, another match, and that ended in a draw as well. I do expect Siri is going to finally capture the Stardom Championship at that show. And I also expect it will probably be the match of the year. I think th- that's probably the biggest thing about this G1. Every year when we talk about the G1, we're like, you know, there was a half a dozen contenders for match of the year. Do you feel like there were any contenders for match of the year throughout this tournament? Is there any one match that you were like, that was the best match of the tournament? Um, it might've been Zach and Ishii. Uh, but I forget cause you know, I have so much wrestling to watch and it kind of right. runs together. I'm sure every match in the G1 was better than all the other matches I watched, but and that includes the Yujiro and Yoshihashi matches, but the nonetheless, is just so high for G one matches at this point. Right. right, I know there were good ones, but I I I do struggle to to think of them. Um, but there were moments in there, you know, that that I, I thought were as worthy as any other G one. Maybe not if the whole match, but there were certain moments and, and high points that I like. And of course, every time you know Kenta did my favorite move, which was the powder. Uh, I definitely felt good about that. So, um, what, the one thing that I do like about G1 season is they go to these shorter cards because you're watching so many shows. Chairman Sugabayashi came out the other day and announced, "Yeah, we we've been running, you know, limited cards 
uh, we're not going to do that anymore. And I, I saw the card for Power Struggle. It's like nine, ten matches long. And I was like, oh, and it wouldn't be so bad. But, you know, the answer to all of the injury problems and the burnout happening on New Japan Pro Wrestling is more shows. That's clearly what we need. We need more shows. We need longer shows. So we have Power Struggle coming up. We're on the road to right now. We have World Tag League coming up. We have Best of Super Juniors coming up. We need more tournament wrestling while we give, you know, some of these big heavyweights a little bit of time off before Wrestle Kingdom. So where where are you at with world tag league best of super juniors does Hiromu win this thing again because i don't feel like there's really anybody else to take it yeah it's pretty thin so you're gonna have to do that um as far as the uh the longer cards like i guess as long as it's like those big shows you have a nine ten match card is fine if you can build it up to that new japan is running into and you kind of see this like this G1 was somewhat, you know, in a lot of people's opinion, depleted, right? Like, in terms of, like, star power or whatever. However, look how much they still had that they were able to fill that out. And now it's almost like they've got too much talent. Like, kind of like AEW can't book all the talent they have. And New Japan, same thing. Like, even if you had big, big-ass cards to get everybody on it, you're going to need to make a bunch of multi-man tags, you know? And that's, that's what they're going to have to do. Um... So they've got uh, uh, more talent than they can really afford like to have in, in serious matches that we care about right now. So they need to rotate in and out some of those people, and World Tag League will be a good time for that. Some of these people are going to be taking a break, you know, because as soon as Power Struggle's over, Okada's on a plane over here, and so are so is Ishii and so some other guys. So they'll be coming over... Um, my only thing for the uh, and did you watch? Have you watched the Road to Power struggles that they've had? No, I haven't because work has yeah. been insane yeah, and I don't have Wi-Fi at work right now, and that that's the oh. thing that really is holding me back. Yeah, well, um, nothing nothing amazing. Obviously, it's just nice little house shows for the fans with the elimination matches on top. Um, although the uh, they they just did have the um, the junior titles, the junior titles. Which... I did see that. Yes, which so so Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask are the junior tag team champions. Tiger so, Mask, a champion in 2021, and that makes me happy. It go, does go it, Tiger, it, go, put, go it, Tiger. Put a big smile on my face because we we thought Tiger Mask might be done here not right. too awful long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now the only my only request with the World Tag League is. Like, obviously, they struggle to find enough tag teams to fill out a league block every year, right? Like, legit tag teams. They just end up slapping people together and stuff. And you have you have some established teams, like, for example, a Tenkozy, right? right? And I always feel like Tenkozy does too many jobs in the World Tag League. Like, you don't have to have them win it, but you could have them win the majority of the matches, you know, and at least get to the finals and put somebody over something, because you should, like... You know, like you were saying about the Roses, you know, or CM Punk right. was saying, like, let that be the one time that Tenkozy wins some matches. Like, well, we may we may be old and we may not get a Dennis Sickles competition, but damn it, when it comes down to good old-fashioned tag team wrestling, we can still kick some ass. That does everybody any good. Because, again, it, it, it shows respect to them, and it, it makes sense for their characters, and it means that the wins against them are more significant for the people that you do have plans for. So that would be my only wish is that they do that more with the established guys going forward. And I like guys that are, you know, tag team specialists. 
that, you know, somebody like Tenzan, you know, maybe he has lost a step and he can't get it done in singles competition. But when Tenkozy comes together, they're freaking unbeatable. Like, I love stories like that. Like, G.O.D. being okay throughout the tournament, I'm fine with that as long as when G.O.D. comes together for World Tag League, they're strong. Right. You know, and they're still in it going into the end. Um, We also got to find a way to get the Good Brothers over here. We got to get them in. And we got to... And more importantly, we got to get Finn Juice into oh, the please. freaking country. I, I, how do you do a World Tag League without Finn Juice? Easily, easily. And they could show us. Uh, please, no more of those guys. I just watched them wrestle. It's, it's on, on uh, Bound for Glory. Uh, I don't want to see it anymore. Um, yeah, just just a little a little something like that. And you got to give it up to Kojima. I mean, you want to talk about MVPs, like... He's right. the guy that New Japan is shipping over when those when AEW needs like a New Japan guy and they're like, well, we're not going to give you anybody good, but we'll give you Kojima. Or if Impact's like, hey, do you guys got anybody? I'm like, well, we got Kojima. You know, like he's the one that has to get just shuffled off to every other promotion to represent New Japan. And he's fucking 50 years old and he's still really good. You know, like Fantastic. he's he's not as good as somebody that's great, but he's he's better than a lot of people and certainly better than the, all the 50 year olds. So you know, like let's let's thank Kojima a little bit and show him some love during this World Tag League. Absolutely, you know, as a thanks for all the work he's done for you. Completely agreed. I just don't want the final to be Dangerous Techers versus God. As long as that's not the final, I just I think I, that might be the final. Uh, I, I, I'm so tired of that feud. You know, can we get um, can we get the Briscoes over? Oh, that would be one? amazing. Yeah, let's just do it. They're they're not doing nothing. Give me a break. Ring of Honor, nobody watches that shit. Just send them over for a tag league. That'd be nice. They're doing GCW, too, which was kind of a big surprise to see them show up somewhere that wasn't Ring of Honor. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, GCW, they don't run TV or nothing, so it's not like they're needed. Uh, Yeah, I would like to see that, but I I think it probably won't happen. I doubt it. Vet, you know, when we sit down to do these shows, I typically figure in my head, eh, yeah, this should take about an hour. And here we are an hour and 35 minutes into the show, sir. I would like to thank you very much for your time. He has opinions. He is the vet. Vet, put over your social media. Tell people how to keep up with you as well as your audio stylings over at the Hameen Media Group at channelattitude.com. Well, it's so hard to keep up with me because, you know, much like Kojima, I'm shipped off to every show that needs somebody to represent HMG. Same! Yeah, yeah, right? And that's, that's, and that's why I like doing this show, because it's the one time that we can both talk about something that we truly care about instead of pretending for a couple hours. Oh, man, uh, I had to do like three Crown Jewel reviews in like the last week. And I'm like, you think I watch this fucking shit? Right. I'm watching nothing from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. They, uh, you know, I was, I was Ray's first invitation to, to the crown jewel review that he did, which they did a great job by the way. And I was like, hard pass, hard pass. No way. No, I'm, I don't know if I'm free, but I'm going to make myself not free. I'm not watching that and talking about it. No. Um, but I'll tell you what I do watch and talk about. So at opinion haver everywhere, I do have opinions as was said. And, um, you can catch me every week on the next level wrestling review podcast on, uh, on YouTube live until, until we're no longer doing that. But I think we're still doing it for a while. We're going to talk about Halloween havoc this week with no Shotzi Blackheart. It doesn't seem right. You know, like obviously she's being wasted on SmackDown. She might as well just come back down and host Halloween havoc, but we're going to get LA night instead. So we'll see how that goes. Um, 
And then you could catch me every, usually Monday night, early Tuesday morning to do the Impact Attack uh, with Colin Wysong and Brandon Stransky. And we just had a Moose celebration party. That's why I haven't changed my name from Moose Renamas because I spoke Moose's championship into existence. And uh, so I'll take all the credit. it's your fault. Yeah, it's all the credit. Fault, yes. It's, it's my fault. Um, and everyone's better for it. Um, you should all get a healthy dose of moose uh, and enjoy it. Give moose his roses while he's still here. Um, yes, there you go. There it is. And um, you'll also catch me this week on the RTW Rewind, where Rad Rob and I will sit down and we're gonna we're going over some anniversaries, Jargo. There's this big anniversaries in 2021. Um, 20 years ago, we had WrestleMania 17, um, and 30 years ago we had Street Fighter 2. And 40 years ago, we had Raiders of the Lost Ark. So we're going to sit and talk about each of these pieces of media and, uh, and and tell some stories and have some fun. So You know, I, I heard one the other day, and it's just crazy to me. Uh, Jericho, actually, did a podcast that was Use Your Illusion 1 versus Use Your Illusion 2. We're in the yeah. 30th Classic album review? Yeah. And I, two of my favorite albums of all time. I was curious, you know, where they kind of fell. But when you look at 1991 in the world of music i mean holy crap you had the metallica black album you had the chili peppers with blood sugar sex magic you had never mind you had 10 you had use your illusion one and two and it's just like holy crap the number of great records that came out that year just incredible stuff yeah, but nothing great came out in 2001. That's why we couldn't do a record, but I was looking for another piece of media. Like, I, I wanted to do, like, three different pieces of media, and I'm looking at the albums from 2001. I was like, well, shit, am I going to have to rewind back to 1971 to find an album we're talking about? Um, and even though I could have, the whole idea of it would be something that's, you know, since I'm a guest on the show and, and Rab Rob wants to talk, uh, wants the guests to talk about stuff that they like, um, I try to think of stuff that was important to me that would also be relatable to everybody. And there's really not a lot of albums. The only good album that I think I could even come close to talking about for 2001 is The Blueprint by Jay-Z. But that's really just not like a, like I've listened to the album, but it's not like a, oh, I, I, that's my favorite album type thing. So so then I was like, well, Russell, Ray, Big Ray actually suggested WrestleMania 17. Um so I got one enough. for you. I know yeah. what I know what I would tune in to hear. What's that? I would tune in to hear Rad Rob talk about a group of nine shitheads from Des Moines, Iowa, Slipknot's amazing epic album of 2001, Iowa. Yeah, I want to hear Rad Rob discuss people equal shit and their the the musical stylings and the deep meaning of the lyrics. Well, I would love to do that too, except that I wouldn't. Uh, so, so we're not going to. Uh, we'll we'll just stick with WrestleMania 17. Um, again, not not a super favorite of mine, but a momentous WrestleMania. Uh, and we'll leave we'll leave the Slipknot talk to the experts. Yeah, um, I, I I did a show with Rad Rob about Kiss from 1974 to 1979, right, right. and mm -hmm. that was a fantastic show because Rad Rob hates Kiss. Uh -huh. So th that was a lot of fun. I can't imagine what he would have to say about stuff like, you know, left behind and people equal shit and the yeah. heretic anthem. Oh my God, that would be great. I want right. to do that show with Rad Rob. Rad well, Rob, hit me up. Yeah, we know what your next episode of RTW will be. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. Um, 
yeah, uh, that that's that's it for me though. Add opinion have everywhere and all that stuff I said. If you missed it, just rewind it a little bit and uh, hear me say it again. Where I come from, we call them shit spot. <laughs> that's going to wrap things up for this edition of destino a new japan pro wrestling podcast thanks for listening if you haven't already please hit that subscribe button and then toss us one of those five-star reviews help us out in the algos destino is brought to you by our friends over at Mark media the hameen media group the pw hustle network the pro wrestling coalition as well as ndpw.com Find the show online at DestinoPod.com, across social media at DestinoPod. Keep up with me at my new website, MichaelJargo.com. Very special thanks to the vet for joining me on this very special edition. I will be back in your ear holes soon with a preview of Power Struggle. Until then, you can find us wherever you may listen to your favorite podcast, be it Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, or iHeartRadio, as well now on Facebook and YouTube in video form. Enjoy the road to Power Struggle, ladies and gaijin. I will be back in your ear holes soon with an all-new episode of Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling Podcast. Matanik.